Hey, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad you're tuning into this episode. Uh, we are a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we really appreciate you listening, watching on YouTube. We really encourage you to subscribe to whatever platform you're using. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, or if you're on Apple or however you listen to a podcast, be sure and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. Also, make comments if you like it and share it if you like it. We really need people to make comments and share the episodes that you like. And then also, if you're not already a supporter, we really would encourage you to go to spiritualityadventures.com and you can pick a tier and we have bonus content for every type of giver. These are this is a nonprofit, so they're tax deductible donations, but we do provide bonus content for those who uh, are supporters. So be a part of the team, help support Spirituality Adventures. And we're so glad you're tuning into this episode. Well, hey, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. Thanks for tuning into this episode. And today I have Sarah Impala with us. Sarah, thank you for joining us at Spirituality Adventures. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, Calvin Arsenia, who has been a regular guest, and we've partnered over the last three years, Calvin and I, uh, uh, is bringing Sarah into Kansas City, or at least you're touring, and that this is a part of your tour, right? Mm -hmm. uh, she will be playing on March 1st at Greenwood Social Hall, which we've already talked about Greenwood Social Hall with Calvin recently. Uh, this is a new project, Calvin's. And so uh, I'm excited to welcome you to Kansas City. And uh, it'll be your first trip to Kansas City. Oh, I can't wait to taste your barbecue. <laughs> there we go. We talked about that on the bonus questions. So, yeah, <laughs> had to tell her about Kansas City barbecue. Of course, Kansas City Chiefs are a pretty big deal, too. You know, in, in case you didn't hear, uh, we just won the Super Bowl, you know. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big deal around here, right? Yeah. But yeah, um, Sarah is a singer songwriter and um, I, I, I want to read uh, a couple of things that are on Calvin's website for the Greenwood social hall. Um, he, he advertised you her honey whiskey voice, whiskey honeyed voice takes intimately crafted pieces to another time and place one of dreams and magic, sensual as they are savage. Her music has been heard all over the world, and Paula has toured internationally with uh, her hand-picked band, The New Prohibition. And then in 2019, Sarah debuted a new duet project, Delightful Squalor, which I, I've loved all your music, by the way. I've been listening to all of this the last <laughs> week. She has previously been a featured member of the Blackberry Bushes, Dark Green Tree, the Dance Bandits, and the fabulous Queens of Sass and Harmony, the Bevy Sisters. Her fifth oh, yeah. album of original work, Wildest Dreams, is out on digital platforms and vinyl, right? So Vinyl and CD <laughs> for all the people doing all the things. Yeah, so We're honored to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I always like to get a little bit of your origin story, like where you're born, where you grew up. Give us a little sense of your, you know, your family background, if there was any sort of spiritual component to your family background. 
just give us a, a brief intro to your origin story. Uh, I mean, if you're considering a, a recovering Roman Catholic or spiritual history, I, I don't know if I do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm half Sicilian on one side, which is where Impala comes from, and I'm half mostly Irish on the other side. And the only reason my parents think we're allowed to marry in 1977 or whatever was because they were both Roman Catholic. You know what I mean? I mean, in the state, certain genetic groups stay within their own tribes. And then they've made an exception, I think. <laughs> and that was eight bridesmaids in rust-colored chiffon. Um, you know, uh, so spiritual, I don't know, but I know that, um, I think that the new, the new way of being spiritual or not, I mean, I do think through song and through art, like through that there's the practice these days of a new shamanism in a way, you know, and not to be too big about it, but I think, you know, whether it was John Lennon or, you know, other true artists and stuff, you know, there's the spectrum of singing a jingle and then there's the song that changes the world, you know, um, it, it isn't something songwriting is something that, um, has been the only way that I can heal myself and it is a way that I connect with my audience and hopefully bring them to a place in themselves of discovery. It's very important to me to, to do that. So it is a spiritual journey, but it, I wouldn't say that it comes from any kind of rearing or, mm. you know, I, I didn't like sit around and sing in a shaker church or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Circle songs, right. Uh, in the in the shaker tradition huh? yeah no that's cool that's just not what i mean i yeah. it was just all kneeling and repentance and feeling guilty and stuff so yeah, yeah, no. i'd like to think i'd like to think i <laughs> i don't know i mean a lot more people would go to church if the music was better um okay. but i think there's more to spirituality than church so i do too yeah you know i define spirituality as either connection or belonging, or you could even say love to self and to others connection. And then, in, and then to something greater, however you might define that, you know, I'd leave that up to individuals, you know, to their, whatever their concept of either God or something greater might be, you know, something connects us to everything, I think. Um, so. Music is a huge part of that. And I mean, here in Scotland and there in America with, with the Greenwood Social Hall being uh, a great example of that, these churches are being put back into musical dedication. You can't, you can't really separate the music and the celebration of that and the connection of that from a spiritual sense of oneness and the connection to the consciousness that we all are because you're not playing music to get anywhere but in the now you're, you're you're playing music and you're hearing it to experience the now more so what could be more you know relevant and it's it is really beautiful to see a church turning back into a church if that makes sense yeah it i love that music is it seems like it's embedded into the reality of the universe to me i have mm -hmm. a friend who has a phd in music and but he's and he studied uh, music comp from the mathematical side of music comp, if that 
if that, you know what I'm saying? Like he tells me you can put any music into a mathematical formula, which he codes music <laughs> for a living. <laughs> and I'm, mm. I'm like going, huh? I remember we were on a bike ride one time and he was telling What do you mean codes music? Um, like into like he's making algorithms for chord progressions or something. I'm talking about Tim place. My, my producer is more of a musician than I am, but, uh, I mean, all music is math to some, you know, it is, but it's also something yeah, he's, else. He's coding software stuff, you know, like be like, if you made a good stuff for a guitar pedal, you know, that's actually mathematical equation stuff. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, I'm definitely, I'm from the opposite. Right. <laughs> and, I and, and I am too, by the way, but it just fascinates me. I think, wow, well, could you, could you put smell into math or music? And, you know, I don't, just my brain goes crazy on that kind of stuff, but music I think is hardwired into the universe for sure. And it touches us at the, at a deep, deep level. Where were you born? In Flagstaff, Arizona. And that's in your growing up years were in Arizona in America. Yeah. I lived off and on in California with my father, um, but mostly, and I've lived in parts of California, but I, yeah, I would consider being from Flagstaff, but I left in 94, you know, so I left when I was like 14. Yeah. Um, so how do you feel like your, your growing up year shaped what you're doing now musically? Um, my mom had a beautiful voice and she played guitar and um, I don't know that she had a huge influence on me though. Um, although we probably do share some, you know, vocal cords or whatever, but I do think her taste in music may have affected me. Like she listened to a lot of like Ricky Lee Jones and Hart and, you know, Fleetwood Mac and stuff like that, you know, classic white woman in the eighties stuff. Um you know, uh, so I feel like those those influences in the sound of the Western desert and the sound of, I mean, I grew up around Native American culture and stuff, and I've always had a really strong natural love of, um, like, Delta blues, like old, older, you know, I love Memphis Mini, and I love, and I didn't really hear that growing up, but I don't know, it's stole my uncle Rob's tape collection once and I got into the B-52s and the Pixies and, you know, I really like a certain kind of like Zeppelin and things like that, you know. Um, I don't know whatever accidentally happens to a person in their life, but I don't, you know, I haven't, I haven't reached that like peak middle-aged crisis yet where I'm got the electric guitar down off the wall, but I do have one, you know. <laughs> I've just always been kind of an acoustic person. Maybe I'm subconsciously always preparing for the apocalypse because I like to know that I can play something completely with the lights being out. You know, I, I, I really enjoy acoustic music. So, um, and I like the freedom of not having to like plug up 10 things in and that kind of stuff, but yeah. I love it. I love it. How about, um, and so when did you first start playing and was it guitar? Was that your first instrument? Well, I'm probably reflective of humanity and that my first instrument's the voice. And I just remember sitting as early as I could with nature and singing myself a song. But I've always been really shy about it. So it did take 
a long time. Like I wrote songs on guitar when I was 14 and stuff, you know, and had a guitar and just sat and played songs. But to play in front of people, my own stuff, that took quite a long time. I got some jobs in musical theater where I was a character and I could sing quite confidently in a character, but it really took me a lot of, of time and getting over my nerves and stuff to like play in cafes and stuff when I was, you know, whatever, 19, 20 years old, but I was always writing and playing, playing music to myself, but to play in front of other people was another thing. And I, I do think it's important to note for any listeners out there who feel really shy, because I think if you saw me perform while there is a vulnerability to my music, that is probably its strength. There's, there's, I want people to, who are trying to do, to overcome their own nerves and stuff to realize that it is sometimes a really long journey mm. to, to get in front of people and to do that. And I seem a lot more confident than, than I ever was for years. It's taken me a long time to, to get over that and, and to truly let all my broken bits you know shine for whatever that means and, and be okay with the fact that it's okay to not, you know, I think we spend a lot of time as singers, like wanting to sound beautiful or wanting to sound perfect, that we compromise a lot of what our true sound is to, to be perfect. And I, I'm very much leaning into not being that way. Mm-hmm. Did, where did you first start performing? What, where were you at? What part of the country? Um, I got up in front of, you know, played at a cafe or something like that. Yeah, maybe Portland, Oregon, but maybe Olympia, Washington, where I lived for a long time. I moved, um, I mean, I played in New York once, but I picked the wrong key for the piano player. I'll never forget it. I I mean, (laughs) I had my friend's dad who ran this theater, you know, made a point to tell me I was a brilliant poet, but just probably should give up the singing thing, which in retrospect was so funny because even I knew at that time that like I had called the wrong key and picked a really complicated song and was very nervous and um, just a kid, you know, I'll just be like 18. Um, but I don't think if anybody heard me now, they would think that that was good advice. <laughs> everybody makes mistakes and keep trying, you know, <laughs> for sure. So what you live in Edinburgh now and you've been there for 10 years, I think. And what, what took you uh, out of the yeah out of the states and I think you went through Berlin to Edinburgh is that right? Yeah, we moved to Berlin from Edinburgh. Um, I don't know how much I should really say, but let's just say that we couldn't go back to the states. And um, me and my husband were a part of other bands, respectively and other projects and other life and everything. And we basically liquidated our assets and like moved to Berlin. And then four months later, I I got knocked up with my son Harlan. And so I just, you know, we just kept doing music thing, freelance thing and working together in in the new prohibition and going through, going through bass players. And, um, and then he started to learn to play gypsy jazz, which, took him on a musical journey that I think also affected me and my songwriting. And originally our project was to just, you know, be like old time band. But at the time I just kept writing and writing more music and um, becoming more confident in that and creating my own sound and stepping away from, you know, maybe definitively what could be described as 
psychedelic old time music, which is very popular in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I think people like when they hear it in parts of Europe, but when you don't have a bunch of people to like go jam with or play with, it was, it was a very, um, swift changeover to like being much more, uh, jazz and jazz influenced, I suppose. So it took kind of a more of a turn, just like indie, indie grass jazz and then, um, drifting in. It's all good though, because it's all influenced songwriting in, in different ways and, in a way, there is something to be said, I suppose, for being isolated. But yeah, we moved to Edinburgh because um, we had a series of like really unfortunate events um, and like violent attacks and things in Berlin, you know, which it's a, it's sort of a, a hipster playground for expats and Britons and stuff. But it, there's also kind of a dangerous dark side of Berlin and a place that still needs healing from the war and when you're there as like a new mother and all that and having kind of violent things happen that are ridiculous um I I just reminded my husband of a, of a magical dream I had once about a place called Edinburgh that I had never been to before and maybe we could just investigate and see if there was pals up there for us and it was very easy it was very easy it was very hard it was very um the universe was pointing us that we should be here and live here. So it was, it was a beautiful thing, but two international moves in five years Mm. on top of like having to move and, and all the stuff that we've been through wasn't particularly easy. So I would like to not do that again. Be great. What, what are the things you've fallen in love with in Edinburgh? Um, not the council, haha. <laughs> um, the well, Arthur's seat is beautiful. Um, even though Glasgow's got a really great cultural um vibe going on and lots of great music, it is just a stone's throw over there to visit. Um, Edinburgh needs a bit of work around the edges for that sort of thing, but it is beautiful because it's by the is by the sea. So the nature here, this access is a little more similar to you know. I crave that because I'm kind of from more, you know, like I don't want to live in a post-industrial town with a freeway going through the middle of it. I prefer to live where there's some trees and rocks and water and things like that, that remind me of, that make me a little freer. So that's nice. Yeah. I like that. Excellent. Well, I've loved your music. Um, Your most recent release is Wildest Dreams. And uh, give us give us a little bit of the, the it, it's a bit of a concept album, would you say? <laughs> yeah, just by default. It, there, I recorded 18 tracks and then peeled it back to 11, uh, three of which were fully produced, including the title track, Wildest Dreams, uh, nothing to do with Taylor Swift, um, who apparently has a track of the same. But Wildest Dreams itself was uh, quite a sad pop tune in a way indie pop tune that is very melancholy and, and is but catchy but it was like it didn't fit with the rest of the album which ended up being what what it what it is to have a wild dream and what it is to be wild and to be wild is to be free and with nature and to have simple things um and when we're wild, I guess we know how to hide ourselves and we know how to lean into what's soft and beautiful and 
um, my wildest dreams are like being a mother and being a musician or having a garden or, you know, um, just being aware that I'm lucky or whatever. So that it's not wild in terms of like wild and crazy gal. It's wild. It's my wildest dreams an acknowledgement of it being like a simple, beautiful human journey, um, like a reflection of the human condition, I suppose, which sounds like a generic thing that probably all songwriters say, but um, yeah, sorry, that was a long winded answer. That's <laughs> awesome. I love the connection with nature that I hear. Uh, most of the questions that I've asked you have taken, I've noticed you've drawn back into nature and I'm a huge yeah. fan. So I, I pick up on those things. Tell me what nature does for you. How do you, how does that inspire you? I've even, I was, I was reading a couple of other interviews and you even I think you even said that you felt like almost your music almost comes to you. Not like it's like you're almost, it's like you're not the originator. Even it comes from a place then through you and then through you to others. And then it, splinters out into a million ways as we as people like me hear it you know kind of i don't know if that's a very good explanation but nature yeah it's just it's just like that whole like cleo gibran it's like your children are not your children and i think that it could be further said like your your songs are not your songs like i like just the acknowledgement of just being this channeling force like half the songs at least that I've written I don't remember writing and it feels like this saying that and speaking to that point feels like an acknowledgement of like when I'm in a place to receive these songs however they come they they genuinely most of them come like a, a gift in and they'll usually annoyingly be like you know three quarters of the way done. And then I'll just really have to craft one bit of it. Um, and it's not to say that there hasn't been dedicated musical study along the way, or that I haven't at various points uh, applied myself as, you know, more of a poet or, but it is also, I mean, it sounds silly to say, but even if it's like watching a series or reading a book or having a conversation, there's an art to kind of everything and how you absorb the media that you're absorbing and how you think about it. And, as I've begun teaching songwriting, I think for a long time I was like, oh, they just come from the ether and I don't know, there's no craft to it. But what I wasn't conscious of when I was challenged to teach songwriting, which I'll also be doing at Greenwood Social Hall with with Calvin, uh, just to plug that workshop, um, is that there, there is something that I'm doing all the time in the way that I observe the world around me, in the way that I approach um, my relationship with myself. And sometimes I'm nailing it and sometimes I'm not. And um, I always feel like, oh gosh, if I haven't written something worthwhile in a while, I'm worthless, you know? I think every artist goes through this kind of like, you're just as good as your last show or your last song or whatever. Um, so, but I guess to to acknowledge that to be possessive about your work on any level is not helpful and the ego that we have attached to it isn't probably right because they are just they are just there ready for the grabbing for the most part. Um, but it's like how do you sort of cleanse yourself and, and become ready to to do that? I I don't know that I ha have or know the answer to that, but I feel very grateful. Um because without this art, I would be a different person for sure. It's, it's helpful. Mm. 
Do you have like maybe one, you said half your songs seem to come from another place. It's like a gift. Is there one or two of them that feel most gifted to you? Like in terms of that experience? Um, Like on that last album? Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. It's like, it's it's funny because it it seems like the, oh gosh, there's there's like a few of them. I mean, the, yeah, gosh, there's just really a few of them. It's funny too, because like in the space of a song, when you feel like you can say something, and this is where songs are really useful to listen to and to write, is that if you feel like you can say something that you can't normally say in your normal life, that's where like a real cathartic power comes in. And on, um, there's a song called Feather Boa on the last album that that reflects that, where I felt like I couldn't articulate I felt upset and I, so that was something that cathartically helped me through that. But there's a really a few, the mighty infinite, which seems like a really jazz structured song. And, you know, the craft of it probably came from listening to a lot of really structured, you know, A, B jazz music. And so the mental study of that was already there, but the song itself in terms of the simple poetry and the messaging around it was like this perfectly distilled piece. Mm. Um, that just kind of just was like, and then it, and it came to me before I was visiting people that I felt like I didn't really want to visit. And it, it kind of, when it dropped in, it was like, Oh, you're supposed to feel better. You can feel better. It was like a very mothering. I felt touched by sort of a mother vibe. Um, when I remember finishing writing it. Um, so that felt really gifted. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Calvin, um, by the way, everybody, um, check and Sarah will be here, uh, in Kansas city. She will be, uh, doing a concert. Uh, I think it's Friday night, March 1st, if I'm not mistaken at the Greenwood social hall and several other events that'll be taking place. So check that out. But Calvin was curious about your thoughts on, and it kind of ties into what you, your, your answer that mothering, this one of the songs you felt like came from the gift of mothering feminism in the music industry. Calvin was asked me, uh, <laughs> ask you about that. How, how is, what's your perspective maybe on, on feminism? In yeah. The industry? Um, it's a big problem. That's a big, there's a, there's a problem. You wouldn't really know that there's a problem because women seem to be splashed on every poster and, you know, represented um wonder to whose benefit that is um because it's not probably women's benefit um in terms of like the larger corporations but um we've definitely got a problem with women's leaders and women like a lack of women's leadership women's stories particularly past a certain age um i know that when i turned 40 um i kind of turned around and i was alone all of a sudden um, as a songwriter, as a band leader, and as an instrumentalist. And that's not that there aren't women players, it's that they've had to make more pragmatic decisions to take care of their families. The, the music industry as a whole is so impossible that it disproportionately affects women and that we're not really able to sacrifice. I mean, like I've heard multiple stories just in my own sphere. I'll give you an example. Someone told me a story yesterday about how someone left their partner 
um, this is a male musician left their partner and just went on tour and like left her with the kids um, to do that. I've heard that story over and over again. These are male colleagues that I have that I work in and around. Um, I know that I certainly don't have the luxury to do that. And you kind of get this sort of fictionalized story of this, like, you know, the deadbeat dad who's like a musician. And as much as that story sucks and it's terrible for, you know, the children and like the partner involved and all of that, there's another terrible story happening going on. And it means that uh, women can't even ever think about for the most part ever being in a position where they'd have be able to like leave their families and not take care of their kids or their aging parents or whatever. So you end up with numbers like, you know, they make fun of me and my family to say this, but nine to one where worse than science or worse than any other field, women are outnumbered as band leaders and instrumentalists, nine to one in the industry. And it really strangely doesn't seem like that. Like you'll go to something probably like folklore or other thing, and there'll be like a lot of women on the poster and even, you know, there seems to be this representation, but when you really break down the numbers of what's actually happening, go and think about it the next time that you go see shows. It'll be like a woman singer and then everyone else in the band is a male and there'll be like the the major acts for a festival, you know, will mostly be all men and all men on stage and mostly male engineers and mostly men booking it. And, you know, I want to act like it doesn't matter. I want to be like, okay, it doesn't matter. And like, why does it matter in terms of poetry, in terms of content? And the reason it matters is that when we turn on the radio and we hear men, music that's produced by men and decisions that are all made, we're really limiting the the kind of stories that we're hearing because it really also affects original work. So, you know, uh, bless her. Taylor Swift is actually in a huge minority because she's producing and making and writing her own music. And I have to say, when I heard that song, I'm the problem, it's me. I didn't know that it was her, but I was like, well, those are some really weird lyrics. It's really interesting. I couldn't believe that it was made by, you know, a mainstream pop gal, but it has to do with the fact that she's really pushed forward to make her own stuff. And it's not always my cup of tea, but that it doesn't matter. When we're talking about people like Righteous Babe Records, like Ani DeFranco, and people who have really pushed forward to push their own narrative and their own story, if that's nine to one and it's pressed into such a small voice, it affects young women and girls and what we think about ourselves, how we feel like seeing ourselves on stage and seeing what we can do that we're not just always channeled into like just these kinds of instruments or these kinds of stories. And I don't know, I really didn't think of it as a big issue even seven years ago. I'm, I'm thinking about it more as an issue as I'm becoming older Mm -hmm. and feeling that my stories are being limited and, you know, I, I don't know, I really want to hear more middle-aged women's songs and more older women's songs. And, you know, I, I think also because we're performing and we're physically out there that it's, it would be, I'd be hard pressed to say, okay, yeah, I can't acknowledge the fact that I'm aware that maybe the world doesn't want to hear an older woman, you know, sing as much as they want to hear like a hot babe young sing about something else. Um, so it's just, it's, it's complex to answer, but there's a real, there's a problem with it for sure. Your, your music is, is amazing. I, I love that folk Americana f- with, with jazz and blues influences. Oh my gosh. That's right now my alley. I mean, that's my go-to stuff. You know, I, I'm very eclectic, so I'll listen to all kinds of things, but that I've had some of your stuff on repeat. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> Gypsy, Gypsy girl. I've listened to at least 10 times now. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I love that. So you play multiple instruments all, and you mentioned all strings primarily, right? So yeah. Our band, ukulele. Uh, Jack of all trade, master of none. Mm. I've kind of, <laughs> yeah. But beautiful stuff. Um, Callan also asked, maybe make a, a comment about boundaries with colleagues. I don't, I don't even know where that one came from, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. What. Well, it's more, I guess. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's part of the feminist conversation. So there's like not, there's like, uh, you know, at least seven reasons I can think of off the top of my head that women are, have, are less in terms of numbers, in terms of being present in the music industry. But one of the reasons that goes into this massive dissertation, because it's multiple things, right, is that women break up bands. How, how, in what, in some ways, is that their fault or is that the fault of the environment that they're in? So if you're in a band with five guys, one of them's going to try to sleep with you at some point. Do you know what I'm saying? And that creates a conflict in the band. And that's like, is it is it your fault or did someone try to shag you inappropriately? And we're talking on the spectrum of everything from like obviously highly consensual sex to not having consensual sex or being put in positions where something happens to you on the road because your accommodations aren't great. Yeah. You know, and these are working class stories. This is something for you know, a podcast, this isn't maybe stuff with higher echelons, but maybe it is too. I don't know everyone's story and everyone's behind the music. I've seen a few enough to know that probably the whole gamut of the spectrum, you know, is like problematic yeah. through and through. Not, not great environments. I mean, I've had to sleep on a bunch of floors with a bunch of guys before. Um, yeah. So the more successful you are, I guess I would imagine the more protected you are, but if you're, in a van with dudes, things happen. Mm. So I guess it's the short way of, of saying that. Yeah. And I, I actually don't know any women musician that don't have stories. Yeah. And I know a lot. I have an, an African-American friend here in Kansas city. Who's a, who's a truck driver and she gets put into settings with, you know, kind of <laughs> white blue collar dudes that, uh, and, and it's like a similar, like what you just said is a similar kind of situation you know it's so i think women in the workplace in a lot of different work environments bump into that kind of stuff but then yeah well then when the intimacy of a band together traveling together um on the road together away from your maybe away from your partner you know that kind of thing it's i, I certainly compliments it right i mean it well and it means that too in terms of income like most women, most, most women who are successful musicians, who are career by trade musicians presently, most of them are partnered with musicians because musicians understand what that life is like and they'll trust them. I haven't come across too many in my own life who are, who have been able to be easily paired with um, a non-musician and that, and reasons that have come up have become that they're not as their partner won't trust that they're on the road and just like, you know what I mean? Like there's this kind of mistrust that goes on with how, what touring is like. And, and that's all legitimate and stuff. But I do notice that a bunch of male musicians seem to be paired with women who are not, and they're supported and trusted in, in that environment. And it's just like something recently I've kind of observed and picked up on and been like, hmm. and then again, how does that fall into like how, easy this lifestyle is to choose it's and then 
the bigger conversation of being like, is it a choice? Because did I choose what I'm good at or what my gift is? And like, why is it so difficult? Um, there are places on the planet that support musicians in a different way, like Cuba and France, for instance, who like once you've proved that you can make a living, they kind of give you a stipend. So you're not having to go into environments or take gigs, you know, and I'm sure there's problems with that, but I have known people, you know, who have been in those environments who, who would prefer it. Mm. It's just kind of an interesting thing to think about how, like as culture and community, a structured society, how we can help people and make it better. You know, in Germany, we I had as a freelance artist, I had childcare, which hugely, hugely positively yeah. affected my I, life. That's, That's not something I have here in Edinburgh and it's not something you have in America. And considering the amount that we've just paid to like Ukraine or, you know, all these things, you'd think that you'd want to be able to support people to, oh. you know, you're not, it doesn't end your career because you had a child, yeah. no matter what that career is. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, when you come to Kansas city, I know Calvin, uh, you know, he's been embedded in Kansas city for a while and, and looking at these systemic issues with the art, we got an incredibly supportive artistic community, but it's really hard to break out from Kansas city because we're eight hours away from, <laughs> you know, other big cities that, that make a tour hard to get to, you know, you got to go eight hours, Chicago or Nashville or Denver uh, big cities isn't where it's at anyway for touring artists. Every touring artist, and especially every working touring artist, mother will tell you the best thing people can do, really can do, is if you have a house that can hold forty people sitting on cushions, have a house concert, start to build something. We do. Yeah. We should not be at this place in our lives relying on venues or big cities. No one wants to go into low emission zones anymore. Like all the things that are affecting working artists are like going into cities like we want to go into more rural communities we want to eat a home cooked breakfast we want to connect with real people who are really gonna mm. you know like we have to start to think of things in a different way because people in small communities aren't necessarily less cultured than people living in big cities and i think that when it comes to the political divide going on particularly in the states that misnomer and that sort of condescension um, not that you're being condescending, but I'm just saying that sort of divide between like rural versus city and metropolis versus like the cowpoke mm. thing. Um, I'd rather like sitting around and maybe explore what culture we can create in, in smaller communities. Certainly here in Scotland, there's hubs all over the place of little beautiful little places where like mm. you just get so well taken care of and you just feel like you've connected a lot to people. Well, I think that's exactly what Calvin's trying to do with Greenwood Social Hall. And, you know, he's actually he's the, there now. And, and it's a venue that holds about 50 to 80 people. And uh, yeah, he's trying to do that very thing that you just described. So Calvin Arsenia is a regular folk hero. And uh, I just think he's just a beautiful human. And he's people like him inspire other people like me to keep on keeping on, even when times are so tough and scary. And so he's, and it's really to his credit that I'm coming out in the first place. And he, you know, <laughs> was like, you should apply for this and do this and has been so supportive. I can't even tell you. So thank you, Calvin. And you thank you, Kansas city, you know, which I think well, is it's good beautiful. to hear. It's really good to hear that like people are do like, you know, because it's a lot of people that re get really involved in the church and stuff and like your heart's in the right place and it's all good, but it becomes this kind of like, 
game of never escaping the ego and stuff. So it's always like really inspiring for me to hear of people that were highly involved in the church that like are kind of rebuilding a new church and a new way of thinking because we all do need a place to go. For me, that is music. And I don't know, I'm, I like to have my own little altar work and my own yoga and Vipassana and stuff like that. But I, you know, I'm a little church phobic on account of the whole recovering Catholic thing, but, uh, <laughs> I, I am too. <laughs> and here I am. I'm sure. Here I'm pastoring again. I'm like, Oh, oh shit. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously with a podcast and stuff as well, though, you can reach a lot of people. And I think that's a beautiful thing is it's mostly like, um, I don't know. I mean, well, I would also say I, I do Catholics never proselytize, which is something that I actually think is cool. Like they don't, you know, go and do, if they do missionary work, they're never trying to convert, yeah. um, which is something people, a lot of people don't know about that. But right. I always really liked that song that you'd sing in church that was like, they'll know we're Christians by our love, mm-hmm. as opposed to the fact that we're telling them and that we're trying to change them and all of that kind of thing. So it's something to kind of, you know, I don't know. Yeah. If you heard of Richard Rohr, he's a Franciscan father who is actually, you know, he's still alive, but he's battling cancer and stuff. But he's, uh, he's been a very, uh, he's very into, well, anyway, it's kind of the new crowd I'm hanging out with. Uh, very, very progressive kind of integration of probably, mindful Buddhist traditions with evolution with, with some Jesus stuff as well, sprinkled in, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, Jesus is great. Yeah. But, know. You know, <laughs> it's just weird that it went from that to like, you know, no women leadership. I just read a really interesting book that oh, I wish I could remember the name of it. <laughs> That's how interesting it was. It was like, I'll have to send it to you, but it's basically about like the ties of Dionysus and cults in Nazareth and like that, you know, Jesus is actually probably tied to like Greek paganism um, and women leadership and Mary Magdalene, all this kind of stuff. And like, I don't know, this guy went to the Vatican, like found a needle in a haystack and dug up all kinds of really interesting ties. And, um, but it has to do with like psychedelic wine and all kinds of, I mean, it was just a a crazy journey. Yeah. Be into that. <laughs> I've interviewed a gal that does plant medicine and we've, we talked about a lot of that kind of interesting stuff, but yeah, well, thanks so much for joining. I, I appreciate your time and I'll look forward to, I'll, I'll be there when you arrive in Kansas city. So I look forward to meeting you in person, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to spirituality adventures and Sarah, we'll see you in uh, Kansas city soon. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Um, I look forward to being at Folk Alliance and seeing Calvin and yourself and getting to to play for y'all. So thank you. Excellent. Gypsy girl, gypsy babe, you know you got, you got, you got it made. Take me with you where you go.
we gonna go? How we gonna get there? Don't you know how to feel the flow? Find the wind in your hair. Wave your arms like you just don't care. She said she'd, she'd take me there. I said I, I wanna go. Hey, you made it to the end. Thanks for listening all the way through on this episode. By the way, if you're not already a supporter, go to spiritualityadventures.com, sign up for one of our monthly supports, and you will receive our bonus content. You'll receive lots of interesting information about our guests. Many of our musicians will do special bonus songs and record a song. So I wanna encourage you to do that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Be sure and subscribe, be sure and share any of the episodes that you like, and be sure and make comments if you like them as well. This helps us uh, get spirituality adventures out there to more listeners, more, more watchers. So whatever platform you're using, subscribe, like, share, make comments, and go to our website, sign up for our team and be a part of the team support. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.